0: Welcome to journeywithjesus.net, a weekly webzine for the Global Church. I'm Daniel B. Clendenin. My essay this week is called Positively Maladjusted. It's based upon the lectionary readings for Sunday, May the 28th, 2017. You will be my witnesses, says Jesus in Acts 1.8 for this week, The word sounds so simple, but the reality is far different. Bearing witness in today's world is an inherently ambiguous task. Jesus says as much in his John 17 prayer for this week. Jesus says that he calls us out of the world, even while we live very much in the world, and so his deeply ambiguous prayer to God the Father. He says, I have given them your word, and the world the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. called to love and embrace the world, separatism and withdrawal are not options. Whereas, because of that very proximity to the world, assimilation and conformity to the world will always be temptations. So, how do we love the world without becoming worldly people? One of my favorite sermons captures this ambiguity. It's by Martin Luther King, Jr. from his book, Strength to Love. The sermon is based on Romans 12, 1 and 2. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. King captures the essence of this text in just two words. He says, God calls us to... Transformed nonconformity. Thirty years ago last month, in April 1987, I interviewed the French sociologist Jacques Loul in his home in Bordeaux. Like King, Loul spent a lot of time thinking about how we engage the world without mimicking the world. Elul wrote 58 books before he died in 1994. Half of them were social scientific studies about what he thought were the most important forces in our world. For him, politics, propaganda, and, most famously, a trilogy on technology. In dialectical tension with these were another 25 books or so on biblical themes, like Jonah. Politics in Second Kings, the book of Revelation. Each type of book, the sociological and the theological, needed the other. When I asked Elul what had given him the most satisfaction in 50 years of scholarship and witness, he didn't hesitate. He said it was his work with the street gangs in the 1950s, the goal of which was not to integrate marginalized teenagers into mainstream society, but rather to help them to become positively rather than negatively maladjusted to the world. Commenting on the new book, The Benedict Option, 2017, by Rod Dreher, he calls it the most discussed and most important religious book of the decade, New York Times columnist David Brooks observes that religion often comes in one of two forms, the purist and the ironist. For the conservative Dreher, who converted from Methodism to Catholicism to Orthodoxy, the cultural war is over and Christians have lost. As a purist, he commends a strategy of seceding culturally from the mainstream. We should turn off our smartphones and watch only movies and television that are consistent with Christian values. Christians should pull their children from public school and put down roots in separate communities. Brooks favors the ironist mode that appreciates the many ambiguities of existence. Purist ideals are for the next world, not this world. He writes... By retreating to neat, homogeneous monocultures, most separatists will end up doing what all self-segregationists do, fostering narrowness, prejudice, and moral arrogance. They will close off the dynamic creativity of a living faith. This summer on August 15th will mark the 100th anniversary of the birth of Oscar Romero in 1917 the Archbishop of San Salvador in El Salvador. Romero was assassinated while celebrating Mass in a small chapel in a cancer hospital where he lived. (coughs) Romero was always close to his people. He preached a prophetic gospel. He denounced the injustices in his country, like torture, and supported the development of popular and mass organizations. He became the voice of the Salvadoran people when all other channels of expression had been crushed by the repression. But as we know, his life was cut short, with a better future still far off. One way to process the many ambiguities of our Gospel witness is to remind ourselves in the words of a poem prayer that are associated with Oscar Romero, that we work and pray for a future, not our own. The so-called Romero Prayer was composed by Bishop Ken Untener of Saginaw, Michigan, and later delivered in a homily by Cardinal John Dearden in November of 1979 for a celebration of departed priests. As it turns out, Romero was murdered five months later. In a later book of Reflections, Udner wrote a piece for the anniversary of Romero's martyrdom entitled The Mystery of the Romero Prayer. He said the mystery is that though the words of the prayer are attributed to Romero, in fact, they were neither written nor spoken by him. Listen to the poem, A Future Not Our Own. It helps now and then to step back and take a long view. The kingdom is not only beyond our efforts, it's beyond our vision. We accomplish in our lifetime only a fraction of the magnificent enterprise that is God's work. Nothing we do is complete, which is another way of saying that the kingdom always lies beyond us. No statement says all that could be said. No prayer fully expresses our faith. No confession brings perfection. No pastoral visit brings wholeness. No program accomplishes the church's mission. No set of goals and objectives include everything. This is what we are about. We plant the seeds that one day will grow. We water the seeds already planted, knowing that they hold future promise. We lay foundations that will need further development. We provide yeast that produces effects far beyond our capabilities. We cannot do everything, and there is a sense of liberation in realizing this. This enables us to do something, and to do it well. It may be incomplete, but it's a beginning, a step along the way an opportunity for the Lord's grace to enter and do the rest. We may never see the end results, but that's the difference between the master builder and the worker. We are workers, not master builders. Ministers, not messiahs. We are prophets of a future, not our own. The Romero prayer is not an excuse to be a passive bystander and do nothing. Rather, it's a reminder that in all our work and witness, we also watch and wait. We hope and pray for what we don't see, says Paul. We live by faith, not by sight. We persevere, says the book of Hebrews, even though we haven't received The Far-Off Promises of God. For books this week, I review a memoir by Cleve Jones. The title, When We Rise, My Life in the Movement. New York Hatchet, 2016. This book is 291 pages long. Cleve Jones' life started off in one place and ended up in quite another one. A lonely teenager in the Phoenix suburbs, he was born into the last generation of homosexual people who grew up not knowing if there was anyone else on the entire planet who felt the way that he felt. The social isolation, bullying, and violence that he experienced led him to the brink of suicide, were it not for the cover of a 1991 Life magazine that he happened to see in the school library when he was 17 years old. It said homosexuals in revolt. The very next year Cleve Jones told his parents that he was gay and in the following summer of 1973 he went to San Francisco. He had no money no job, no bed, or even any plan, except, quote, to join the revolution, end quote. As a street kid, he panhandled, hustled, did a stint as a bike messenger, bought and sold drugs, sold his body when needed, and discovered the bathhouses. And so in a blurb on the dust jacket of this book, the writer Rebecca Solnit describes Cleve's story as one of quote-unquote radical excess, end quote. He's lucky to be alive, especially given his own diagnosis of HIV-AIDS at the age of 31. Remarkably, Cleve Jones ended up leading millions of people in the gay liberation movement that at first he didn't even know existed, By the time that Harvey Milk was elected to the San Francisco Assembly in 1977, Jones had earned his bona fides as a movement leader. After Milk's assassination, he went on to help found the San Francisco AIDS Foundation. Most notably, in 1987, he conceived of the Names Project AIDS Memorial Quilt that memorializes 85,000 Americans who have died of AIDS. I read this book of personal memoir and political history after seeing Jones featured on the NPR news hour. The author Cleve Jones, the title "When We Rise: My Life in the Movement." <clears throat> For movies this week, I review an older movie from the year 2011. It's called "Take Shelter." This psychological thriller by director Jeff Nichols debuted at the Cannes, Sundance, and Toronto Film Festivals. The protagonist, Curtis LaForge, is a 35-year-old construction worker in a small town, Ohio, a devoted husband to Samantha, and a loving father to his deaf daughter, Hannah. You've got a good life, says one of his buddies, and it's true. That is, until he starts having violent dreams at night and hallucinations during the day. Curtis tries to hide his problems, but his increasingly erratic behavior makes that impossible. He takes out a risky loan to build a tornado shelter in his backyard, stocks it with gas masks, has a seizure, loses his job. He fears he might be following in the steps of his mother who was hospitalized for paranoid schizophrenia. And so he goes to various counselors and doctors. But for Curtis, his psychological problems portend uncertain dangers that are even more dreadful. He tells his wife, Samantha, it's hard to explain because it's not just a dream. It's a feeling. I think something might be coming, something that's not right. I can't describe it. I just need you to believe me. Is Curtis mentally ill? A sort of prophet? Maybe both? The conclusion of this movie had viewers wondering. The title of the movie, Take Shelter. And on the cusp of summer, and travel, and vacations, We've posted a marvelous poem called The Journey Prayer by St. Brendan the Voyager, an Irish monk who lived from 484 to 577, The Journey Prayer. God bless to me this day, God bless to me this night. Bless, O oh bless, thou God of grace, each day and hour of my life. Bless, O oh bless, thou God of grace, each day and hour of my life. God bless the pathway on which I go. God bless the earth that is beneath my soul. Bless, O oh God, and give to me thy love. O oh God of gods, bless my rest and my repose. Bless, O oh God, and give to me thy love. And bless, O oh God of God, my repose. The Journey Prayer by St. Brendan the Voyager Thank you for joining us at journeywithjesus.net for Sunday, May the 28th, 2017. I'm Daniel B. Clinton.